sure you kind of know this, and uh, our, we, we kind of recognize this, that it usually takes about a year for you to be in a ministry before you can kind of get your own identity in it. You know, the old guy leaves, and the new guy comes in, and you start to get some traction uh, with your vision for that ministry. And about a, a year and a half into it, uh, back in 2010, God was really starting to make things click. Uh, our youth group was growing. We had student leaders, um, and we had began taking teams to Guatemala, which was pretty awesome. Not just in my ministry life, but things also in my personal life were amazing. Um, we had just had our second son, Jackson, and uh, so there were two of them at the time, and that was before we got outnumbered, and so things were really, really good, and, um, and we just really were loving life at the time, having two children, growing our family um, on, a, on a spiritual level. I felt, felt like things were really good, you know. Um, I was a good tithing church member, or I brought my, my tithe to the church and did what you're supposed to with that, and, um, and honestly, I just, I thought every Everything was kind of together in life. And what, I, what wound up happening is at the end of 2010, we decided to take our students to a conference, really the beginning of 2011. And so I load up the, the van and, and we head down to this conference and I'm very excited for them because I know God's going to do really great things for them. You kind of might see where I'm going with this. And I get there and here's kind of what the experience is like. So you ever have those times with your spouse or maybe you've had this time with a friend where, you know, your spouse says to you as you're going out the door, hey, honey, when you get home today, we need to talk. And um, you're like, great, awesome, sounds good. And you, you get home and you kind of get like, wow, I had no idea, like, right? Like you get this bomb dropped on you, not in a disrespectful way, my wife's never like that, but um, you get this bomb dropped on you of something that you didn't even know you were doing, right? Or you have this friend and, and they say, hey, we'd like to, or I'd like to meet you for, for coffee. And you get to the coffee shop and there's like five friends there to meet you, right? Hopefully that's never happened to you. This is kind of like that moment for me. Because I get there and I'm ready for God to do great things in the lives of these students. I'm ready for God to just explode their world and God instead decides to shatter mine. Because at the time, I didn't have any unconfessed sin in my life. I didn't have any gross immorality or anything crazy like that going on. But man, God began to reveal things in my ministry life that were just so wrong. You see, we were taking teams, we were taking trips to Guatemala, but we weren't going on mission to Guatemala. You know the difference, right? I mean, we had these trips, we would take teenagers there and we'd try to help a few kids if we could or, or whatever. But there was such a disconnect between mission and trip. I cared more about how many people I could get on a Wednesday night in the seats than I cared about what was in here in their soul. I cared more about those seats than I did. Are those students actually being discipled? And it wasn't just my ministry life that was suffering. I realized that my gifts to the church were basically just the bare minimum to satisfy some check mark that I had in my own little heart about what we should be giving. And I kept the rest for myself. The money that I did give, I had very little connection to it from where it was leaving my hand and where it was going. And this is sad because I was a pastor, right? I, I had the budget. I know where the money goes. And yet 
Very seldom did I ever think to pray for those missionaries that are on that budget. In fact, this is so embarrassing, but I, re I remember there were times where literally I would get an email from one of our missionaries and I just didn't want to read it. I'd just delete. It was, to be honest, it's a little embarrassing. The bottom line was I never lost one ounce of sleep for the billions of souls that have never heard about Jesus. The billions of souls that are currently lost and without him. You see, I'd created these borders, not just borders of our country or national borders, but I'd created these borders in my heart because all I cared about was what was going on in my little world. Yeah, I, was, I, I ministered in my own little world, but I didn't, I didn't really care about things that were going on outside of our country. I didn't really care about those things. And it wasn't just borders in our nation, uh, borders of our nation. It was these borders in my heart, these borders of within my heart of how far I was willing to go to make sure the message of Christ would be heard. We're starting a series this morning called Beyond the Borders. And, and you can see it there for yourself in the introduction. But looking beyond the borders involves looking beyond the borders of our country but it doesn't stop there. It's as well as the borders of our heart. What limits of love do we place on God's purpose for people in other cultures and contexts? Individually, what limits of love do you have? What borders in your heart do you have for people outside of our country? Another way to ask this question is this, and I really want you to think about this. Other than Sunday... Do you think about souls in other countries? Other than Sundays, do you actually think about souls in other countries? I'm not talking about seeing something on the news. I'm not talking about information. I'm thinking about in your quiet time, in your prayer life. Are you actually thinking at any point in your week about those billions of souls in other countries? And so I have a couple of disclaimers for us this series, and I'm going to go ahead and just tell you what they are. The first, the first one is this. Um, this series is really all about beyond the borders. There is an incredible responsibility we have for local mission work, and that is so important. In fact, we've done series on that. In fact, come and, come and go. If my last series that I was able to do here, that's kind of about that. But this particular series, I want us to look completely beyond our borders as to what we're doing and what God is doing around the world. So that's the first disclaimer. The second disclaimer is this. This is, and I know I've probably said something like this before, but I really mean it. This is the hardest message I've ever, ever prepared for. It's not necessarily just hard to speak, which it is. It's also hard to prepare for it because this has been something that's been burning in my heart for about three months now and it has been painful to write it because it hurts me and convicts me. And so I'm coming up here this morning with maybe things that are hard to hear, but I, I started this morning giving you how raw it is for me and how I struggle with this because I don't want you to think this is me pointing at you. This is me saying, hey, this is where I'm at. I don't know where you're at, but this is where I'm at and this is where the American culture is at. And so I want us to start this morning with prayer and I want us to just go ahead. I know this is kind of a weird thing. I want us to just go ahead and open our hands like this, palms up, and, uh, and just go ahead and bow your heads and close your eyes. And I want you to visualize in those hands, I want you to visualize everything 
that your life is about. I want you to go ahead and place your, your dreams in, that, in those hands. I want you to go ahead and place your career in those hands. I want you to go ahead and place your possessions, your pursuits, your hobbies. I want you to go ahead and place your children in those hands. I want you to go ahead and place your spouse in those hands. Everything that your life is about, go ahead and just visualize those things are in those open hands that you're in, that you have right now. And right now we're going to pray and we're going to say to God, God, any of it is yours. So, Lord, we we pray as as we have our hands open and we think about all the things that we hold dear in this life. We pray, Lord, that we would hold those things with open hands, that they are not ours, that we are mere managers of all these things, including our families, including our friends. And, God, we say to you, it's all yours. And so, God, during this series, during this week, during this morning, Lord, we want our hands to be open, and we want to say to you, Lord, whatever you need to take, whatever you need to do, God, do it and help me to be willing to to obey you in all things. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, if you have your Bibles, turn to Romans chapter 10. Romans chapter 10, I know some of you are literally like, did we not just spend months upon months in Romans? We did. I will tell you this, the main part of what we're sharing is not something we shared Uh, on Sunday morning. So Romans chapter 10, as you're turning there, uh, Paul is laying out in the passage I'm about to read, Paul is laying out how a person becomes a believer, how a person becomes a Christian, which is kind of a cool thing. And he says here in Romans chapter 10, starting in verse 9, if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart, one believes unto righteousness And with the mouth, confession is made into salvation. For the scripture says, whoever believes on him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between the Jew and the Greek. For the same Lord over all is rich to all who call upon him. For whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Now that part right there, we did do a a message on back in July. Incredible message. Check it out. But I love this passage because this is basically God's provision for us, right? It's his provision, what he's provided for us, this idea that man was helplessly lost without God, and because of God's provision, we now have a way through him that whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. But it's not just our provision, it's everybody's provision. This is God's provision beyond the borders. It's, it's not just for here. It's not just for right here in Shelby or right here in the United States. It's for everywhere. And that's kind of a commonsensical thing to think about, but it's something that we need to be reminded of. That yes, God can save even the worst of sinners. That is absolutely true. But it's not just that, that the gospel is for anyone. The gospel's for anyone. It's for anyone who calls on the name of the Lord. That's what verse 13 tells us. So the gospel not just crosses over this idea of, is this person really sinful or is this person a little sinful? Like God's love covers it all and sin is sin, by the way. But it's not just a sinful person. It's saying here that the gospel crosses beyond the borders of nations. It crosses beyond the borders of race. It crosses beyond the borders of language and socioeconomic status. It doesn't matter if you're rich or poor. It doesn't matter if you're educated or uneducated. It doesn't matter what language you speak. It doesn't matter what your race is or what nation you come from. The gospel is for anyone who calls on the name of the Lord. And it's easy to say that and sometimes hard to really put that in our head. 
And here's the reason why it's hard. I can't tell you how odd it is to have a message that we knew three months ago where we were headed. In fact, the title, Beyond Borders, we already knew what it was going to be three months ago. And look at when it's finally unfolding. Think about what's going on in our country right now. And here's the thing. I'm not trying to make a political statement here. This is not a political statement. I'm not trying to say this is what we should or shouldn't do with the 4,000 plus migrant people that are coming across the border. But here's what I can say definitely and assuredly that all 4,000 plus, every single man, woman, child, if there's terrorists, terrorists, whatever, every single one of them, God cares about, he loves them. And his desire is that he, that they would know and love him. And here's the thing, here's the test of our hearts when it comes to this answer right here. If there is any part of you when you hear that cringes, then we have a hard time understanding this gospel. Because this gospel is for anyone. It crosses beyond the borders. And this is what we're looking at. And then Paul asked a series of rhetorical questions to prove his point. How many of you have those people in your life they, they, they like to be right, and they always have this sarcastic way of proving their point. You know, why are my friends and my wife looking at me right now? <laughs> um, yeah, that's me, by the way. Sorry. Me and Paul have this in common. You know, the Bible says we should be like Jesus, and that's not Paul. Anyway, um, so this is what Paul does. He gives these rhetorical questions, and a lot of times we skip over this. Or we're like, oh, this is too confusing. Well, I'm going to hopefully lay it out for you. Look at verse 14. How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher or a messenger? And how shall they preach unless they are sent? See, Paul lays out this progression to salvation, right? And and I kind of wanted to illustrate that with cones. And I'm going to tell you now, and some of you know this. I know Sarah Beth's looking at me right now. Cones are not the most, like, ideal thing to decorate a stage with. I get that, okay? In fact, it hurts me more than it hurts you because I care about the way this stuff looks. But it proves my point this morning. And some of you are like, are we literally back in student ministry? Are you the student pastor? No, I'm not. You can take the pastor out of student ministry, but sometimes you can't take the student ministry out of the pastor. So here's what I need you to do. I need you to stick with me on this illustration and ignore the fact that there are these tacky cones on stage because this lays out for us God's plan right here. Right here, we have this. And I want to show you how this looks. If this is a person that calls on the name of the Lord and is saved, look at this, how this lays out. Before calling on the name of the Lord, before getting saved, comes belief. Before a person believes, comes hearing about who Jesus is and what he did. Think about it. That's information 101. You can't really believe something or even know something until you hear about it. And then before a person hears about Jesus comes a messenger, someone who came to them, someone who left to go to them. Before hearing about Jesus comes a messenger to speak about him. And before the messenger arrives, they are sent from somewhere. That messenger comes from somewhere. 
So this is the layout. This is ultimately God's vision, not just here in America. This is God's vision beyond the borders. This right here is God's vision beyond the borders. This passage is not a flash of Paul's rhetorical skill. It is a glimpse into God's redemptive plan to make his love known to every person and people group in the world. So how does he, does, how does he do this? It starts right here. The church sins. The church sins. Look at the first part of verse 15. How shall they preach? How shall they go unless they are sent? That since the New Testament, since Acts 1, this has been the way God's designed it. That the church is the primary sender of the gospel to all the nations. That missions is not a department in our church that people that are passionate about missions become a part of. It's not just some department in our church. It's not a mere obligation that we sign up for and jump, jump on a plane once a year. This is the primary concern of God that all people may know and love him. Habakkuk tells us this, for all the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Paul told Timothy something very similar, for this is good and acceptable in the sight of God, who, God our Savior, who desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. You see, this is not a side thing. This is God's primary agenda for the church, that there are 7.6 billion people in the world right now, and God deserves the praise of every single one of them. We just sang that. You are worthy of your name, and yet there are millions and billions who don't know the name. Missions is a privilege to be included in the primary concern of God that all would know and love him. And God has placed for us the American church in this time in here at history. God has placed the American church as the central hub from which most missionaries are sent. It's not to say other countries aren't sending missionaries. There's tons that are. But for whatever reason, in history, for such a time as this, God has placed the American church as the primary sender into the world for global evangelism and global missions. And honestly, individual as our individual church here at PCC, We've done a pretty amazing job at that. I'm just gonna say, I know we could always, there's room for growth, but we, we heard this last week. Last week we said that in 1999, since 1999, we have seen $3.5 million from our church go to overseas missions. That's amazing. And if you wanna kinda know what that number looks like, just look up. You know, these flags are not in here just as mere decoration. I did make a mistake and there's two, of the exact same flag in here. And I do apologize for that. But you want to know what these flags represent? These flags represent nations. Yeah, that, that, I know. That's what flags do. Um, let me explain better. These flags represent nations that since 1999, we have had an opportunity to partner with by sending teams to, partnering with missions there on the ground, or giving of our resources to help these nations hear the word of God. Every one of these up here. 9.30 clap for that, because th they thought that was pretty cool. I think we should clap for that. Isn't that awesome? That's not our glory. 
That's God's glory. But every nation right here represented in this room, Pleasant City Church has had the opportunity to partner with, to do evangelism in missions. But it's more than just that. It's more than just the church sins. Look at the next part. The church sins and the able go. The church sins and the able go. How shall they hear? It's for the end of verse 14. How shall they hear without a preacher, without a messenger? How are the people, how are the nations going to hear if no one goes? When it comes to missions beyond the borders, those that are able should go. And some of you are sitting here right now and you're thinking this question. Well, define able. That's not really a question, it's a command. Well, define, define able, Jonathan. You define able. You know why I ask you to define it? Because every time I define able, God busts through that. Like every time. Think of the things that we can say we're not able to do. God seems to bust through that every time in my, in my case. In fact, this is kind of interesting. Over the last 10 years of taking mission teams and all those team members, out of 10 years of team members, we have only had one team member that not, was not able to go on a, on a mission that they signed up for because of money. Only one. They don't go here, by the way, so I don't feel bad telling this story. And they didn't really do what I asked them to do, to be honest with you. Only one. We use these excuses all the time. Well, I'm not able to do this. I'm not able to do that. That able there is a small minority, not a big majority. And there are, and I have to say this, there are cases where it's not possible or it's not it's not able to happen. I get that. And I'm not trying to define what that is. But many of the times the definitions we come up with don't hold water of why we're not able to do this. When it comes to going beyond the borders with the gospel, here it is. You need a better reason to stay than you need to go. You need a better reason to stay here than you need to go there. Matthew 28, 19, we all know this verse. We all have heard this verse and grown up with this verse. I'm only gonna read the first part. Go therefore, this is Jesus. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations. It doesn't say one nation. It doesn't say a couple nations. All means all. That we all have a part of going and being a part of all the nations. That we have an active role in playing in all the nations, not just our nation, not just a few bordering nations, all the nations. That is our mission. These verses, this verse is not some verse for just a special kind of Christ follower, the, the super spiritual person, person that makes their own clothes. No, this is for every believer in this room that we have an active part in going. And we spend our whole lives believing this idea that God's going to have to audibly call from heaven for me to go to that place. Because I ain't going there if he don't call, right? Think about that. There's nothing in the Christian life that we put more caution and red tape around than this, this go. Think about it. We don't have to be called to go to Walmart. We don't have to be called to go to Me Pablito this afternoon. We don't have to be called to, to drop 10 or 20K on a new car. 
We don't have to be called to go to Disney World. We don't have to be called to go and do these things. And some of you are like, well, yeah, duh, right? I mean, God doesn't care what we do with our money and our time and our resources, does he? I hope you catch the sarcasm there, right? We don't make those issues spiritual. And I'm not saying, guys, I'm not saying you have to be called to go to Walmart. What, what I'm saying is this, that we don't make any of those issues spiritual, and some of them we probably should. But when it comes to this idea of going, we say, God, I can't do it, man. I'm just, I'm not going to do this. Like, I've got a cat at home that I got to get taken care of. I got dogs. I got kids. I got all kinds of good reasons that I shouldn't go. I, I, don't, like, I don't like those other countries. I, I don't like sleeping on those nasty beds. I don't, I don't want to live my life like that. I like the peace of my home. I'm a homebody. Like, I, I just have this kind of life. And we take this command of God, the one thing that God is very clear on in Scripture, the thing he says, hey, go nuts on, we're reluctant. Why? These next statements are by far the hardest thing for me to write and to say because it hurts me every time I say them. The reason why we are reluctant to go, short-term or long-term, is because it messes up our planned and comfortable life. If we were honest, most American Christians spend their time and money the same way our lost culture does. We follow after the same pleasures, the same possessions, the same pursuits, and we've made Jesus into our image. A Jesus who doesn't mind materialism, nominal devotion, or casual religion. But Jesus is not a mere teacher that gives us options to consider. He is a Lord that gives us commands to obey. And when we catch a glimpse of who Jesus is, when we experience him, it changes us. We don't look the same as the culture. And we, we get this mindset that, that becoming a Christian means we just don't do the really bad sins anymore. But it's more than that. It's not just we don't do these things. We start doing this, these things that God has created us. We are his workmanship created to do good things. That it's more than just forsaking sin. It's, it's, it's living a life that looks totally different than what the culture presents. We see this time and time in Scripture. Isaiah, he meets God. He experiences God. What happens after that? He immediately goes. Saul of Tarsus, he meets him on the road. What happens after that? He immediately goes. In fact, every case, every experience in which someone has an encounter with Christ, they become radically changed. And we look at those stories and we say, well, that's unusual. Well, that's unusual. Well, that's unusual. What I'm doing is normal, but everything else in the Bible must be an anomaly. It must be unusual. What if it's backwards? What if everything in here is normal and we're the anomaly? And we're the ones that are unusual? Because when we meet God, it changes who we are. It changes the way we spend our money. It changes the way we spend our time. It makes us evaluate everything on that level. And we don't have time to waste our lives on us. Our, our culture says, hey, stay balanced. 
Stay away from danger. Live comfortably. Reward yourself. And Jesus literally says the exact opposite. In Luke 9, 23, he says, deny yourself and everything else of this world. Pick up your cross, an instrument of death, an instrument of torture, an instrument of suffering, and follow me. What's he saying here? He's he's implying this idea that when we choose to follow God, there's going to be pain. There's going to be suffering. There's going to be choices that we have to make that we don't get to enjoy some of the same things that our friends that are lost get to enjoy. And it's not just sin. When we read passages like Matthew 19, where he tells the rich young ruler, you remember the story? The rich young ruler comes to him and says, what do I need to do to follow you? And he says to him, sell everything you have. And we read that and we literally say, well, that's unusual. That's, God would never want me to do that. But six chapters before that, Jesus gives the parable of the treasure in the field. Remember the treasure in the field and the, the pearl of great price? There are these cool stories about there, a man finds a field, he finds a treasure in the field. He doesn't own the field. And he goes and he sells everything he has to buy the field and the treasure in the field. The treasure represents Jesus. It represents the kingdom. That Jesus talks about this all the time. This idea of everything we have is in an open hand, ready to give to God if he asks for it. That Jesus is worth your plans and your dreams. That the proclamation of the kingdom of God is the ultimate plan that supersedes any plan you or I may have. That all your gifts, all your skills, all your abilities are given by God for the advancement of the gospel to the ends of the earth. And in this plan and in the king that gave us this plan, we have found something that is worth losing everything for. So the question is, are we going to go? Look at what's next. Next, the nations hear. How shall they believe in him if they don't hear? This question haunts me every time I hear it. Think about this. How were they ever going to believe if they never hear? Jesus promises that one day this will happen. Matthew 24, 14 says, And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world as a witness to all the nations, and then the end will come. What he's telling us here is something that's going to happen in the future. It hasn't happened yet, but it will be fulfilled. That we actually play a part in bringing about Christ's return. That all the nations are going to hear about Christ, and then the end will come, and then Christ will will return, and who is he put in charge to do that? The church, us, individuals. How? By going to each nation. Now, when he wrote this, and he already knew this, but when he wrote this, none of these nations were around. So he doesn't clearly mean here nation like as in a border. What he's talking about is what's called an ethne. That's the word there, ethne or ethnos. And it's this idea of a people group, a group of people that share the same language, the same culture, the same dialect. That's what they are considered. And there are over, a little over 16,000 people groups in the world right now, and 6,700 of them are unreached. Here's a map. Hopefully you can see it. All the red there, every bit of that, unreached people. Total groups of people that have never heard the gospel. What does unreached mean? It means this. It's when a culture has less than 2% of evangelical Christians. 
It means you don't have access to the gospel. It means that each village that's in that red area, this is, this is what it looks like. A man is born, he lives, he dies, never knowing Jesus, never hearing about Jesus, never having an opportunity or knowing somebody that knows Jesus. But it doesn't stop there. His son, the same cycle. His grandson, the same cycle. His great-granddaughter, and great-great-granddaughter, the same cycle that generation after generation after generation of people that have never even heard a thing about Jesus. That's what unreached means. And people say sometimes, you know, well, there's unreached people around me. That's actually a paradox because the word around me is in your statement. That if they're around you, they're not unreached because they have access to you right here, easy access we're talking about generations of people. Here's a better way to look at it. This is what unreached means. If every Christian in the world right now shared the gospel with every single person they knew, so take your Facebook friend list or your Instagram followers and you go and you share it with every single one of those people. And let's say every single Christian shared with every single person they ever knew the gospel and every single one of those people became a Christian. That would be amazing, by the way. That would be an ultimate revival, unlike the world has ever seen. If that happened, there would still be 2.8 billion people who don't know about Jesus. These are people that don't have anyone to tell them about who he is. And the tragedy is that only, you saw this just a second ago, only 3% of missionaries go and less than 1% of money actually goes to evangelizing these areas that are in red. I have a, a quote here from David Platt. It's a book called Radical Together. And I want us to put this on the screen. I, I love what he says here and it's kind of shocking. And it hurts a little Biblically, our mission is not only about loving our city or invading our culture with the gospel. Our mission is, to also, is also about leaving our cities to infiltrate every culture with the gospel. I am convinced that Satan, in a sense, is just fine with missional churches in the West spending the overwhelming majority of our time, energy, and money on trying to reach people right around us. Get this. Satan may actually delight in this. For while we spend our lives on the people we see right in front of us, more than 6,000 people groups comprised of almost 3 billion people currently for generations have never even heard the gospel and remain in the dark. I ask the question again, how will they ever believe if they don't hear The last part of this is that the lost are found. The truth is, and it says here, how shall they call on him and be saved if they don't believe? The truth is at this point, it becomes up to God and the person that's hearing the word of God, whether they're gonna believe and whether they're gonna be saved. That is true. This is all between them and God. We're responsible for these three. They're responsible for this. But imagine this, but think of the reality of all the ones that never make it here because of our apathy here. What is their destiny? This is what's at stake for them. Every two seconds, or every second, two people die. We started this counter about 9.10 this morning, and so far this is what our number is. It just keeps growing 
These are people that have died so far since 910 this morning. And in their death, they face one of two places, heaven or hell. Now, if everyone on planet earth that calls themselves a Christian was actually a Christian, which we know that's crazy, but if, if that was true, there would still be over five, mil, or five billion people that are still lost and without a savior. This means that every second is hell for someone. Every second, someone is entering hell. Can we get our minds around that for just a second? Every second, someone's going to hell. They are leaving consciousness here on earth and falling into eternal darkness, eternal death, eternal isolation, eternal fire with no ending, no relief forever. Every second, it's hell for someone I, I'll never forget this, this time we went to Nepal a few years ago. And we got to visit a place called Pashpati. It's, it's a weird name, I know, but it's a Hindu temple that's there in Nepal. And here's a picture of, of what they're doing. These piles of, of smoke that's billowing, these are cremations of Hindu people. These are people that are Hindu that have passed away. They die, and now they're being cremated. And then their ashes and all of that gets dumped right into that river there. These are doing this nonstop, day in, day out, all day long. And there's, I wish I could have a longer picture, but there's tons and tons of these happening all day. The smell is bad. It's, it's a sad place to be. And then on, the, on, on, on that side of the, the, there's a bridge here. And on the other side of the bridge, we see this, this picture here. You see a pyre here of someone being cremated. And right here in the far right, I know it might be hard to see, there's this blue, this blue uh, shape here. That's actually a blanket. And there's an there's a older woman standing, laying there. And she's not passed away. She's actually moving when we come across this scene. And we ask what's going on here. And Abraham tells us that she's, she's dying. And that soon after she dies, she'll go right there to the left, right there where that pyre is, and she'll be the next one that goes there. And in this moment, these, these family members that are around her, they're taking this nasty, filthy, disease-ridden water right here, and they're sprinkling it on her feet. And what they believe is that as they do that and as she passes away, her soul is going to go through those trickles of water into the river and she's going to become one with the universe. Nirvana is what Hindus call it. And this is her reality. This is an earthly picture of an eternal reality for her. An earthly picture of what's really going to be happening in eternity for her forever. Eternal flame, eternal damnation forever. That these people that are believing fables and myths are slipping into hell about a million a week. And we're singing songs. And I love singing, I love worshiping, but worship is more, I love Wes, he says this all the time, worship is so much more than a song, it is an action that God calls us out to. We have been called to more than just sitting and soaking up the word of God, we have been called to do the word of God. 
And I love how Paul ends this little passage at the end of verse 15. He says this, as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace, who bring glad tidings of good things. These are people that are bringing the gospel. You see the word feet there? Every time it's in scripture, it's talking about this idea of action, that feet feet involve this idea of action. What are we going to do about this problem and that problem? What is our mission beyond these borders? If we see what God's provision for us is and provision for overseas, if we see what his vision is, it's laid out right here in scripture, it's laid out right here, what do we do in response to that? There's three responses. The first one is, I will go. I will go. There is a short-term challenge here and a long-term challenge here. The first part is the short-term challenge, that successful short-term missions, like we're about to do to Guatemala, must be a part of fueling the disciple-making process of both the country we're in and the church that sends us. It's a better way of saying this. As we go together, we grow together that our eyes are opened and our hearts are transformed as we serve in situations that make us uncomfortable. And any of you that's ever been on mission, you know this is like a big amen true fact because this is what we see happening all around the world. Our hearts become opened to these uncomfortable situations and we as a church family grow together. There is a need for short-term missions. It's important. So here's my challenge in that, and it's a very basic challenge, and it it is what it is. I want to encourage you, I want to challenge you to spend 2% of your time in another culture and context. 2% of your time equals out to a week a year. A week a year. And I want to confess something to you. We have done an incredible job of creating opportunities for students for years in this area And we have not done as good a job giving opportunities to adults. We just heard about Guatemala. I'm excited about where we're taking those students. But can I just tell you, it's also, it's not just students that are are needing to go. It's you as adults. And so we're going to do something that's a big thing. In fact, I I had to get permission for this (laughs) um, because this could be a big thing. We are saying to you, this might sound cheesy, but if you are able to go and you are wanting to accept this challenge and you've never had an opportunity, I want you to email me. I know that sounds weird. I want you to email me and here's what we're gonna promise. Within the next 18 months, we are gonna provide a way for you to go cross-culturally overseas. Now you're raising your support and all that, but we are gonna provide opportunities. And some of you say 18 months, that's forever. It's really not. It takes time to get these things together. But we want to provide something. If we're going to challenge you in something, we need to be able to equip you in that challenge. And so email me. I will reply back to that email. And if I don't reply, it, doesn't, it means I didn't get your email. So email me again because I want to make sure I have your name and I'm able to help you work through that in the next 18 months on how we can make that happen. And that could be a big, crazy thing. And I'm, I'm just, I know God will take care of that. But it's more than just short-term challenges and goals. And some of us, we know what this looks like because out of a crowd this size, and we saw it, one out of 250,000, one missionary for every 250,000 unreached people, out of a crowd of believers this size, there is 
I, I can almost say this with almost certainty that there are a few in here, maybe several in here, that God is saying, no, I don't want you to go away for 2% of your time. I want you to move to another culture and context. And here's the long-term challenge to that. This is what I'm going to ask of you, and it's a very simple thing. Ask God sincerely and regularly, do you want me to stay here in America, or do you want me to go? In just a minute, we're not going to have an invitation. Here's the invitation right here for this response. The invitation is this. I want you to go home tonight. I want you to to get on your hands and and knees or or right there at your bed or wherever your prayer closet is. If you're married, you need to be with your spouse to do this. But I want you to ask this question of God sincerely. Ask the question, Lord, do you want me to stay here? With the 2.8 billion that are unreached, do you want me to stay here? Or do you want me to go? And ask that regularly. Will you at least ask in a fresh way if the Lord is calling you to do this and will you commit to obey him however he answers? The second response, not only I will go, but also I will send. I will send. You can actually, there are many of you that probably do both of these. I will go and send. But I will send. What does this look like? If he doesn't call you to move your life, will you believe that surely he is calling you to join the church to send more men and women to serve and support any way you can? That we are the means in which he fulfills his global mission. It's me and you. That if we send and stay, we would fight to keep our lives undistracted by things that don't ultimately matter. And this is what sending looks like, and I'll tell you, it it hurts me every time I, I look at it. But sending looks like this. It means commit to saving more, to spending less, and to sending faithfully. Sending definitely involves prayer, as Christian said just a minute ago, but you know what? Sending more often than not, involves more than just prayer. That maybe instead of standing behind the church that you attend and clapping for who they're sending, maybe God's calling you outside, individually, outside of just the church to save more money, spend less money, and send more overseas. What if that's the case? The third response You can either go, you can either send, or you can disobey. There's only three options. It's very clear what God has called us to. We can either send, we can either go, or we can disobey. As you bow your heads and close your eyes, I know we're running a little over this morning, and that's okay. What kingdom are you building Are you building your kingdom or are you building God's kingdom? Are you building your kingdom with a nice looking yard, a big house, a car that's well overpriced, expensive hobbies? Are you continuing to build those kingdoms up? Or is God calling you out of that and saying, day by day, 
I want you to build my kingdom with those resources. I want you to build my kingdom with that time. I want you to build my kingdom with who you are and your family. It's tough, man. I'd like to say that back in 2010, I got all that straightened out and everything's great, and it is great. But you know what I've learned? It wasn't just a one-time deal for me that every year since then, God has required of me and commanded of my family to do more. That very seldom in the Christian life is things stagnant. That we just do this one thing way back here and it doesn't continue. That every year, man, God has said to me, Lord, the Lord said to me, hey, I want you to give up this now. I want you to give up this. You know what? You could actually give some more. You could do this instead. And the question is, are we going to build our kingdom or are we going to build God's kingdom? Are we going to look beyond our borders and our world and instead look to his? And so as we think about sending, I want to just encourage you, the next two weeks is the invitation for sending. We're going to give you other opportunities, ways in which you can individually, not just corporately as a church, but as we as individuals can get involved in sending faithfully more. And so as we, as we take the offering now, as we give the opportunity for offering, you guys can come forward. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. God, we just thank you for this morning. We thank you, God, for your word. Lord, I know, I know this is a tough message. And every time I say it, every time I hear it, every time I write it, every time I read it, it hurts. Because so much of my life has been about my kingdom. And Lord, I, would, I just want to build your kingdom. I want to go if you want me to go. I don't want to stay here if you want me to stay here. I want to go if you want me to go. So Lord, help me be faithful. Help us to be faithful to build your kingdom here on earth and reach out to the 2.8 billion people that are lost and unreached. God, we love you. In Jesus' name, amen.